Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. And if you have your Bibles while we're celebrating, turn to Revelation chapter 17. And we'll celebrate God's truth. Uh, This morning, if you are new with us, we have been walking through the book of Revelation over the last few months. Uh, I think we started back in like November or something like that. So it's been a journey for us to go through. Uh, But we have been looking over the last few weeks at the final judgments that God is pouring out on the earth. And as God gets to the very end of time as we know it, human history, and is beginning to introduce his kingdom into the earth, there are these final judgments that take place on the world because God cannot reside where sin and evil are. He has to cleanse the earth of those things in order to introduce his full kingdom here to the earth. And so we've been seeing that. Last week we talked about the seven angels who poured out seven bowls full of the wrath of God onto the world. And at the end of chapter 16, we see the fall of the kingdom of Satan. It's been destroyed, making way for God to bring his kingdom fully to the earth. Um, Now, what we're going to see today is that John has already given us the big picture of this, and he's told us that the kingdom of the earth has fallen. Today, we're going to back up, and in chapters 17 and 18, he's going to say, let me describe to you how this happens. And he's going to give us a more in-depth look at the fall of Babylon and the fall of the kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, My goal today is to cover two and a half chapters of this text. We're going to look at 17, 18, and the first part of 19 uh, that describe the city of Babylon and then the fall of the city of Babylon. And then we'll get to see the response to that fall. And so we'll see how the people of the world who have been a part of the Antichrist kingdom respond. We're going to see how Christians respond when the total destruction of the kingdom of the Antichrist happens. And so... Uh, As we move into Easter next weekend, today is Palm Sunday, next Sunday is Easter. As we move into that Easter, I wanted to get through this. One of the reasons we're going to cover so much ground today is that I wanted to get to Easter and have most of the bad news out of the way. Because by the time we get to Easter, it's a time to celebrate. Next week, we'll look at just kind of a standalone message around Easter. Uh, Then when we come back to the book of Revelation in a couple of weeks, what we're going to finally start to see is God introducing his kingdom to the world. And we're going to see the newness of birth of the kingdom of God on the earth, a a new creation. And so uh, I wanted us to come out of Easter being able to celebrate more of those things. So with that in mind, this morning, I've asked two people to help me read these large chunks of text. And if they can go ahead and start making their way uh, forward, I believe Jamie Reeves is going to read for us first this morning. Um, When we see this read through, I want us to read 18 or 17 and 18. I'm not going to be able to touch on every single verse along the way, but I want us to see the narrative story. I want us to see how John writes it and how it unfolds. So we're going to read together. Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and then I'll finish up with 19 later. Jamie, go ahead. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angels carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. 
this title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to, to, going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And now Revelation chapter 18. After this... I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The king of the earth committed adultery with her, the kings of the earth. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double. For what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. 
The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will, <clears throat> they will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. Thanks so much, Jamie and Bill. I appreciate you guys reading that for us. When we go back to Revelation chapter 17, where we began reading this morning, you'll see in verses 1 through 6 that John is told he's going to be shown the punishment of the great prostitute. And yet what John has shown astonishes him. The great prostitute is the kingdom of the Antichrist in the world system that's followed after the Antichrist's wicked ways. But he's astonished because John says, but when I looked, I didn't see a city destroyed or, or a nation destroyed or an empire destroyed. I saw it in its splendor, in its power, in its brilliance. And so we see in verses 3 through 5, John says, The angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. And she held out a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And the name written on her forehead was the mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations 
of the earth. And so Babylon here is represented as a woman dressed in scarlet and in purple, which identifies her both with the beast and with power. We saw earlier in, uh, in Revelation that the dragon was, was red. He was a red dragon that fought in the heavens. And so when he says that she was clothed in scarlet, that scarlet color identifies Babylon with the beast who was empowered by uh, Satan himself. And so not only is she clothed in scarlet, though, to identify her, her place with Satan, but she's clothed in purple which is a royal color. And so John says, I see this city and he's describing these things. And he says, she has power. Then the angel explains this mystery to John. And I love that Revelation does this. Many times when we think about Revelation, we say, well, it's really difficult to understand. There's all these imagery things here that I can't comprehend. I don't grasp. And that's true. There are a lot of difficult things here. But many times in Revelation, when something is described to us, they'll back up and say, now let me give you the the understanding of the vision. And they'll tell us what it's meant there. So this is what happens with John. He says, the angel explains the mystery. Uh, And to be fair, I read four commentaries on this chapter this week. And three of them said this may be the most difficult passage in all of the book of Revelation to understand. Uh, And so the first thing that the angel tells John is this. This will call for a mind with wisdom. And you guys are stuck with my mind. So uh, as we talk through this, we'll see what we can make of it, all right? So he says in chapter 13... If you were to go back and look, we talked about the Antichrist, and he was described as a beast with seven heads and ten horns. So immediately when we see this and say Babylon, the city with seven heads, ten horns, it's identifying it as the kingdom of the Antichrist. And the angel says that the beast once was, now is not, and yet will come out of the abyss. And if you go back, if you missed our message on um, uh, the chapter on the Antichrist, chapter 13, we saw that the Antichrist will do everything in his power and Satan will set up this triumphant of uh, people, the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet, who will act as God. And they'll try to mimic the things of God. The Antichrist is set up to be like Jesus, to the point that they will replicate Jesus' death and resurrection. The Antichrist will suffer a fatal wound die and then be brought back to life, mimicking the death of Jesus in his resurrection. And so Satan will do everything he can to mimic the life of Jesus. However, unlike the Messiah, what we see here with this beast or with, uh, with Babylon, he says that uh, Messiah comes down from heaven to set up an eternal kingdom. And yet the beast comes out of the abyss to be destroyed. He says where Jesus comes in power to rule and to reign eternally, the the demon or the the beast has a set purpose and a set time out of the abyss to face ultimate destruction. And so here John is told what these seven heads and ten horns mean. The seven heads of the beast are seven hills. And if you're taking notes this morning, if you like to write some things down, or if you're on our app following along, you can just take some notes, fill in the blanks. Seven heads are seven hills. Uh, The city of Rome is represented this way. So John's audience would have initially seen and thought of Rome and equated her to Babylon with their current suffering. So Rome was thought of as a city on seven hills. John says this beast has seven heads, which represents seven hills. So basically what we see is that Rome was not Babylon. It was a type of Babylon, a Babylon that's still to come. But in every civilization, the spirit of Babylon is found in every era, in every nation that's given over not to the ways of God, but to the ways of Satan. And so the first century people would have read this and heard and seen that this is Rome. This is where we're living right now. The spirit of Babylon is in Rome. But the angel also tells John that his seven heads are seven kings, or probably better stated as seven kingdoms. And he says, five have fallen, one is, and one is still to come. 
And so there have been seven Babylon-like kingdoms that have fallen over the years. There's one now in John's day, that's Rome. And he says there's still one to come. So there is this earthly global kingdom of Antichrist that will be established on the earth that is Babylon the Great. All right, and so that's what we're seeing here, this kingdom that's still to come. Next, we're told that the beast has ten horns. And if you remember as we've gone through this study, horns represent power. And so this is a power that's magnificent, almost absolute. To the people of the earth, it will look like absolute power. The, the kingdom of the Antichrist will seem as if it can't be conquered. And so this represents two different things, ways that you could think about this, these horns that are represented. Number one, it represents 10 actual kingdoms who will join the Antichrist in rebelling against God and leading the nations away from him. The second way we could approach that is that they're symbolic and it just designates the fullness of the Antichrist's power. In other words, when John sees this, he says this beast with seven heads and ten horns, it could be the ten horns represent ten kingdoms who come together under the authority of the Antichrist to wage war against God. It could also be an idea of stating that there is a universal power that's come together and all of the authority and all of the powers conquered together under Babylon in the rule of the Antichrist. Uh, George Eldon Ladd in his commentary on Revelation said the ten kings are pure purely eschatological figures representing the totality of the powers of all nations on the earth, which are to be made subservient to Antichrist. Now, uh, I'm not going to necessarily attempt to make a bold statement one way or the other about which way that I feel like these things fall, because the truth is, I don't know. What I can make a bold statement about is what they do. And I can do that because the angel tells John exactly what they're going to do. So we can look at this, look at chapter 17, verse 13. It says, they have one power, one purpose, excuse me. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. And they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So again, the next blanks on your outline there could just be this. The kingdoms of the earth will be pawns for the Antichrist to use for his purposes to make war against the God of heaven. And so in however this comes together, the nations of the earth will gather together for war against God. If you remember when we read about uh, the bowl judgments in the last chapter, one of the bowls that's poured out on the earth is poured out on the Euphrates. It dries up the Euphrates. And John is shown and told that the reason for that is so that the kings of the earth can gather together at a battle called Armageddon and fight against the, the kingdom of God. And so in all of that, these kingdoms come together for this earth, but they're pawns in the hand of the Antichrist. Uh, and before the nations can ever fully assemble like this, when you go on to read, there's something curious that happens next. And as you read it, you kind of go, well, wait a second. I thought they were all coming together to go to war against, the anti or against God. But look at what he says in 15 through 18. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. It's a conglomeration of the earth. And the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. But God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the king's of the earth, which is Babylon the Great. And so John says the Antichrist and the kingdoms of the world will turn on the prostitute. This city, this nation, this rule of the Antichrist, they'll actually go against her and bring civil war to the earth. 
And so when we see this, when we think about this, if you want something to equate this to in modern history, where you go a ruler that comes against their own people, for us, we might think about something with Hitler from pre-World War II. Who was the first nation that Hitler conquered? It was the Germans. He came against his own people. He took out his political rivals. He did everything possible to gain power for himself. And then once all of his rivals were conquered, he brought the German people together to go to war against the rest of the world. That's essentially what the Antichrist is doing here. Hitler didn't love all German people. Hitler loved power. The Antichrist is not going to love everyone in his kingdom. The Antichrist will love power and authority and dominion. And in so doing, he'll gather the nations of the world together to go to war against themselves. And there will be this civil war that breaks out. Now, we're not going to have time this morning to go through all of this verse by verse, but I want you to see some key elements when we get to chapter 18, uh, because in that we see that Babylon has only become a place that's useful for housing demons, impure spirits, and unclean animals. And John tells us all the nations of the earth drunk the wine of her adulteries. In other words, the world was led away from God to pursue these detestable things, the pleasures of sinfulness and indulging in excessive luxuries. So look at verse four with me. John says, then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues for her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Now, the riches of this world and the enticements of its pleasures and all of the things that this earth promises for us look really, really good. But so often when we think about these things that, that are promised to us, they're things that end up leaving us empty. And John says that I heard a voice from heaven that calls God's people out. We get sucked sometimes into the same pursuits as people that don't fear God. And here God is commanding us to come out of Babylon. And for his people in this future state, he's going to come out of her. Be done with her in her way. Don't share in her adulteries. Don't share in her prostitution. Don't share in these things. Come out of her. And the call is the same for us as Christians today, in our time, in our nation, that we're to come out of this sinful world. Not that we leave this world, not that we physically separate ourselves, but that we spiritually separate ourselves. In fact, if you're taking notes, the next thing I would ask you to write down is this. This is a call to spiritual separation rather than physical separation. And so John's audience would have read this and associated it originally with Rome and heard we need to, to come out of Rome. Rome is the center of pleasure and, and uh, it's got everything that we can imagine and it's the, where the, the political powers are and it's where the financial institutions are and everything that our life is based on is Rome and God is saying, I want you to come out of that kingdom and I want you to be a part of mine. Don't share in the things of this world. Come out of that. Be separated, not physically, but spiritually separate yourself. Jesus prayed for us in the garden on the night that he was going to be um, tried and then crucified. Do you remember Jesus' prayer for his disciples? He said, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you protect them from the world. That you give us a protection so that we're not drawn into the sinfulness that this world offers. So that we're not drawn away from our relationship with Jesus, but that we're drawn to him more fully. And so John tells us the same thing here. When we're told to come out, it's not, a spirit, or it's not a physical separation, it's a spiritual separation. J. Scott Duvall in his commentary on Revelation said this, in essence, this is a clarion call to holiness, 
a separation from the wicked ways of the world and a separation unto loyalty and obedience to God. See, following Christ always includes two actions. It's always turning away from sinfulness and wickedness and self and turning to God and his favor. Anytime we turn away from something, we turn towards something. And so to leave the kingdom of this world in a spiritual sense is to turn to God's kingdom and to give ourselves fully to God and to his kingdom. So for Christians, we need to understand that if we're going to truly follow God the way we're called to, that we need to identify the things in our life that are drawing us away from Jesus. So what is it in my life that would call me into sinful, wicked ways? And I need to give up those things so that I can turn more fully and completely to God himself. So if you're a follower of Christ this morning, you need to evaluate in your heart and say, what are the things that draw me to sin and deceit and wickedness and evil and the things that this world boasts of so greatly that are supposed to bring pleasure and glory and happiness and contentment and peace? If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, the invitation is found in these simple verses. Come out of these hollow, deceptive, empty things of this life that promise you fulfillment and embrace the salvation that's offered to you in Jesus. He promises to give us abundant life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. All of the things that Satan promises you in this world, all of the things that you pursue in this life, he says, this will make you content. This will make you happy. This will give you joy. This will bring peace to your life. This will bring pleasure to your life. You'll finally be fulfilled if you just get this and do this. Jesus says, all he wants to do ultimately is kill you and steal from you and destroy you. But Jesus says, I've come so that you can have life, abundant life, not just everlasting life, life in the days to come, life here and now. You can have abundance of life in Christ, but you have to come out of the world. You've got to say no to sin and self. You've got to turn away from that so you can follow Jesus. You've got to be willing to say yes to him and him alone. So Christians, walk away from the things in the world that are distracting you from following Jesus. Be changed by him. Be on mission with him. For non-Christians, if you're not a follower of Christ today, walk toward Jesus today by committing your life solely to him and abandoning the things that will never satisfy you and the ultimate desires of your heart will finally be met in him alone. He's it. Jesus is better than anything else you can pursue in your life. And so what we see as we get back into Revelation chapter 18 is that we see the people of the nations who have been caught up in the worship of the Antichrist and who have benefited from his kingdom, who have found wealth there and pleasure there and, and they've pursued these different things that have been benefits to them. They're forced to watch the destruction of their way of life. And John describes this and he says they, they stand back at a distance and they watch as the world they've known crumbles around them. That everything falls apart. That Babylon is destroyed. And everything that has given them comfort and peace and hope and joy in life is gone. And primarily what we see in that is that the world mourns over the fall of Babylon due to the selfishness of the loss of their commercial wealth. All of them stand back and John says they, they look at this fall of this great nation and they say, no one's going to buy our stuff anymore. We're not going to have a way to make income anymore. Nobody needs what I have anymore. 
And all of their benefit is, how do I get more for me? And when Babylon falls, when this world system is destroyed, when the kingdom of the Antichrist is gone, the world stands back and watches in terror as their lives fall apart. The only thing I can really equate this to for us to help get something in our mind's eye is how it probably felt for many of us, most of us, in our country on September 11th, 2001, when airplanes flew into towers in New York City and subsequently those towers fell to the ground and we all stood back in terror and amazement and shock at what was taking place. And yet that was only two buildings in one city. John says, as the the wrath of God comes upon the whole earth, that the earth is destroyed, that everyone's sensibilities falls apart, that everyone's uh, ability to, to make money, to do life, everything that their lives have been wrapped up in in the kingdom of the Antichrist crumbles to the ground in one day. Did you notice how the city talks about herself? Or the people talk about this city. She said, in her heart, this is verse seven, in her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. That's what the kingdom of the Antichrist will be about. We're the most powerful nation. Nothing can ever happen to us. This is, look at how how big our world is, how dominant we are. Nothing could ever conquer us. But then in one day, which just means in a short amount of time, that God comes against this great city, that God comes against the Antichrist and his way of life, and he destroys it. So then to give us one final picture in in chapter 18, to show us the completeness of the collapse of this kingdom of Satan, verses 21 through 24 say, Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. It was her, in her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. So when we see this, we notice the perspective of the people of the world who watch their, their world crumble around them and they're distraught over it. They're terrified by it. It wrecks them. But there's one other view we need to gain, one other lens of perspective we need to look through this morning as we close up. And while the followers of the Antichrist who benefited from this kingdom will be in mourning, the followers of Jesus will respond to the fall of Babylon much differently. As this wicked kingdom is destroyed, look at how the Christians and the people of God respond. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He's avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried out, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this time, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. And so when the kingdom of Babylon falls and the kingdom of Satan is destroyed, the people of God rejoice. They worship Jesus. But I want you to understand this properly. In the last notes for your outline, the last blanks are simply this. We rejoice when God judges evil, not when people suffer. And I want us to get this perspective this morning because it would be easy for some of us to look at a chapter like this and go, wait a minute, God has been pouring out his judgments on the earth. People have been suffering. There's been all these difficult things that have been going on over the last few chapters of God's judgment. And now the kingdom of Satan has fallen. Now Babylon the Great is destroyed. Now the nations of the earth are conquered and the people are standing back in terror and amazement and in fright. And we're supposed to celebrate their demise? And I think the perspective that we need to have is not one of Christians standing looking at the lost world and saying, you finally got yours. You're getting what you deserve. We tried to tell you all along. You should have listened to us. This is what you deserve. You should get this. You are getting divine retribution and payback and you need to eat it. Rather than having that perspective, I think what we're looking at here is that followers of Christ rejoice in the holy and divine and just judgment of God against sin, not in the suffering of individual people. That what we need to see and say is that there is a world that is dominated by wickedness and evil and sin. And God's design all along has been to introduce his kingdom to this world to eliminate sin so that we can live with God in perfect harmony and fellowship and in his holiness forever. But that can't happen as long as sin is on the earth. And so we are rejoicing and the people of God rejoice in the just and true and righteous judgment of God against evil, not at the sudden terror that overtakes individuals. We do not celebrate when people suffer because they've chosen not to follow God. We celebrate the holiness and the goodness of God who acts as a righteous judge on our behalf. If you notice what was wrong in the city of Babylon, he says they have been filled with the wine of this prostitute and they have destroyed your people. The blood of the followers of Christ flow through her streets. Everything about the city has been to destroy the people and the work of God. And now as God comes back and moves against her to judge the evil of the world, there's celebration in heaven and their celebration on the behalf of people of, who are followers of Christ because we know that sin and evil are done with at this point and that God introduces his kingdom rule and reign to the earth. So for us, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we part of those who are invited? As John said, the angel writes to him, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Have you, have you received that invitation 
You go, how do I get that? How do I get to be part of the wedding supper of the lamb, not the destruction of Babylon? I want to be at the wedding, not at the doom. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You've got to flee from Babylon. You've got to separate yourself from her. You've got to come out of this wicked world and this evil, sinful kingdom of Satan that exists to pursue after Jesus. Only in accepting the salvation that Jesus offers us can we truly have peace. Can we truly know that we're going to be with God forever and ever. And so today you have a chance to respond in that way. Christians of saying, what have I allowed in my heart that's kept me drawn to sinful ways instead of being fully surrendered to Jesus? What do you need to come out of to follow him? If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, the invitation is extended to you to say, what you need to do to come into his kingdom is to turn your back on the kingdom of this world. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Let him rule not only as savior of your life, but Lord of your life to take you in the direction of his kingdom so that you can follow him, so that you can be changed by him, and so that you can be on mission with him for the rest of your life. If you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus today, after the service is over, I would love to talk to you. We have others on our staff team and our elder team that would love to share with you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. But today, ask yourself, where do you stand with him? And how do you get closer and closer to him every day? Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.